You are listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. Jesus was humiliated so our sins can be forgiven. Know more about this truth in week one of our series, The King, from this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. So we are starting a brand new series entitled The King. Everybody say, The King. I, I guess we're all familiar with this word, the king. You know, when you talk about the king, he is a sovereign ruler of an independent state. Though we don't have a kingdom in the Philippines, we have a republic. We're being ruled by a president. But, you know, maybe growing up, you know, you, you see movies uh, depicting different kinds of kings. And, you know, one particular movie probably that you've all watched is uh, The Lion King. You know, this is a very familiar movie talk about, you know, Simba and Mufasa and that. Another king that you're probably familiar with is King Kong. Uh, for those of you who are younger, you're probably not, well, I guess yeah, they did a remake of this movie, King Kong. Or maybe you know the king of pop named Michael Jackson. You know, when you talk about the you know, king, king of pop, Michael Jackson, there's another king, king of rock and roll. Uh, for those of you who are a little bit older, uh, Elvis Presley. The younger ones don't even know who this is, but they have a similar hair with Justin Bieber. And so he's got, you know, uh, so that's the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Of course, we have a local king. It's called The King, uh, FPJ. And uh, we, you know, we kind of know him to be the king of the movies uh, when he was still alive. For those of you who are a bit hungry right now, we have another kind of king, Burger King, <laughs> where taste is king. And do it your way. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, the, the advertisement is that you are king as a customer. And um, maybe one last illustration of the king or example of the king is, of course, our very own pound for pound, Manny Pacquiao, who happened to beat uh, Timothy Bradley uh, this, this afternoon. And so we're looking at the king, but really we want to study the kingship of Christ. And we're going to go through... Uh, three weeks of study of this particular topic. Today, we're going to be looking at the humble king. Everybody say, the humble king. Now, how many of you are humble in this place? Please raise your hand if you are humble. Uh, Anybody here who's proud to be humble? Please raise your hand. Uh, Okay. Uh, That is something that you don't put in the resume, right? You know, I am qualified this. These are my qualifications, competent, and most especially humble. You know, you don't do that in a resume, okay? But we will study how... Jesus is a humble king. Next week, we're going to be talk, talking about the risen king since it's Easter Sunday. And uh, everybody will be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to be talking about the impact and the significance of the resurrection of Christ, the risen king in our lives. And the week after that, we're going to be looking at the returning king. And how many of you know that Jesus is coming back one day for us? Amen. And, uh, you know, though he's not walking here on earth, he will physically come one day f- uh, through the clouds and he will be riding a white horse and on his thigh will be uh, written there, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we're going to be looking at that in the next uh, few weeks. I guess that if you say Christ the King, you will all agree with me on that because growing up in this very religious culture, we're so familiar with Jesus Christ being King. In fact, there is a church somewhere in Quezon City that is named as such, right? Christ the King Church. I think it's along uh, E. Rodriguez. And so, 
um, you know, I've actually visited uh, that church a um, couple of times, okay? Uh, you see icons, you see different symbols of uh, Jesus being uh, characterized and symbolized as king, majestic. But, you know, of course, if you look at these pictures, it is not enough. The pictures are in no way able to describe the majesty and the kingship of Christ. Uh, there happens to be uh, one of the tallest, if not the tallest, uh, Christ statue in the world right now. It's about 108 feet tall, and it's called Christ the King in um, Poland. And it, it, said, it is said that this particular statue already overtook the one in Rio de Janeiro, which is the Christ the Redeemer in terms of height. And so the Brazilians would not accept that. And so what they did was they actually produced a 42-foot meter or mitre, which is actually a Pope's hat that they put on the statue. Can you imagine? So now that might actually be, again, the tallest structure with the hat because it's 42 feet. Okay, but anyway, that's beside the point. We're looking at Jesus, the King, ruling and reigning in our hearts. And so I'd like to invite everyone to stand with me. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 21. That is the first book, of course, of the New Testament. We're looking at nine verses as we read the account of the triumphal entry, and this is actually what we're celebrating today, being Palm Sunday. You know, maybe if you go outside, the different churches are probably holding palm, uh, palm leaves, okay? And so we want to understand what that means, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, or Bethphage, or Bethphage, or whatever, however you pronounce it. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once, everybody say at once, you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, the king or your king comes to you gentle. Everybody say gentle. Gentle or humble in another translation. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. I guess Jesus, you know, because he's a big man, he probably needed two animals, okay? It says he sat on both of them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And in verse 9, it says, The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Everybody say, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this afternoon as we study your word. We ask for your wisdom once again in your revelations so that we may know your word and how this kingship, the kingship of Christ, will impact our daily lives. 
Father, I ask, Lord God, that you would direct us, and I thank you that us, your children, that we may be in tune to what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. While you're doing that, smile at the person beside you. And just with your smile, greet him or her. I'm glad to see you here. Yeah. With your smile. Okay. All right. Now, at this time, well, the background of the story was, uh, you know, Israel was under Roman rule. We're all familiar with that. And, you know, they have placed governors to uh, basically rule over each province of Israel, and they were oppressed by it, you know. They feel the oppression through the taxes that's being collected, you know, they have rules uh, that are being imposed on them. And so the people, or the Israelites, or the Jews at that time, were really looking for a savior. And thus, you know, the perception of the Jews is this Jesus was the hyped-up king that they were expecting. Now, when you look at the king, of course, the king in those days are really royal people. You know, these are people that are trained for war. These are people who are politically, uh, you know, uh, adept to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to lead their nation. These are people who, who knows, uh, you know, how to, to lead their nation economically. Uh, they have a great social background. And so, somehow, because of what they know about Jesus, they said, this is probably the person who will deliver us from the Roman rule. And so they were expecting Jesus to actually, through His miracles, lead the people in order for them to be set free from the Roman Empire. Of course, in the past three years of the ministry of Christ, you have seen so many different miracles, the different healings, the raising from the dead. You know, how many of you remember Lazarus being raised from the dead? You know, they've heard about that. You know, Jesus feeding, feeding the 5,000 and then he fed the 4,000. And they, they were probably thinking, wow, if this guy would be a king, it will be a great kingdom. Can you imagine if, can you imagine if Jesus would run for president in the Philippines, for example? It's free bread and fish every single day, right? So they're probably thinking about that. You know, wow, this, this king would be able to, we're not just going to receive free welfare or benefit. It's going to be free hospital. You know, he's just going to lay hands on us and we're well, you know. So they're, they're looking at this, the possibility of him leading them in a different form of kingdom that they know, which is really a worldly kind of kingdom, a political kind of kingdom, a military kind of kingdom. But Jesus went into Jerusalem for a different purpose. And his kingdom is not of this world. How many of you know that? That the kingdom of Christ is not really of this world. In fact, it is of a higher realm. And he was trying to explain to his disciples about that. In fact, in verse 2, what they were expecting him to use was really a more modern mode of transportation to go inside Jerusalem, but yet he chose otherwise. And he said to some of his disciples, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. So this is kind of like what it, looks, uh, what it means. Maybe if Jesus was alive today, he will tell his disciples, okay, I want you to go to Ayala Alabang, 
Go to Mindanao Avenue, you will find a brand new Fortuner there that has not been used. I want you to get it and tell the owner, the Lord needs it. How many of you will do that? <laughs> it's called car napping, right? <laughs> I, you know, when I would read this, I said, Lord, why? You know, why will you tell your disciples to do such a thing? You did, he didn't even offer to pay them. But in verse 3, it says, If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them. Everybody say that. The Lord needs them. Now, I don't want you to go to your office tomorrow and start getting computers or office equipment and say to your boss, the Lord needs them. Okay? It's called stealing, right? So, but yet, in this particular case, the cult and the, 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 the younger one were released so that they can be used by Jesus, so that he can ride on them. And this is actually a fulfillment of the prophecy in Zephaniah, or, or sorry, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. You know, the whole chapter of Zechariah is talking about the military might. It's talking about the advance in power. It's, called, it's talking about, you know, how, how this king will actually, you know, push back the enemies of Israel. And yet, it shows here, he will be riding on a donkey, kind of like this donkey. No, no, not that donkey, okay? Maybe a different donkey, kind of like this donkey. You know, they were expecting a different kind of king. They were expecting that this king will come on a royal horse with an armor, with a long-drawn sword, and would shout, Ahu! 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 You know? And yet, when he entered Jerusalem, it was the total opposite. The expectation of the people were dashed. And he came instead riding on a donkey. And the people were, you know, putting palm branches and they were laying their coats on the ground. Of course, during those days, to put your coat or your cloak or your palm branches in front of people passing by, it's, it's a symbol of honor. It's a symbol of a VIP coming down the streets and passing through. It's kind of like you rolling out the red carpet. You know, it's kind of like the Oscars, you know, having a red carpet thing. That those who pass there are VIPs. You know, so this is what they were doing. They were putting palm branches. They were putting cloaks on the ground. And as Jesus was passing, they were shouting a particular word. What was, what was the word that they were shouting? Hosanna! Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna to the Son of David! You know, if you look at the meaning of the word Hosanna in Hebrew... It's, it's called Hosanna in Hebrew and Hoshaya in the Greek. It literally means, rescue me. It's asking for help. Lord, save us. That is what the meaning of Hosanna is. And what they were probably shouting is, Lord, save us. Help us. Rescue us. Hosanna. That's exactly what they were shouting. They were looking at this king riding on a donkey. You know, and people were shouting, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Help. Have you ever cried to, you know, to God for help? 
How many of you have cried to God for help? So you have a new word right now. Hosanna. Para may social lang kawate. Lord, Hosanna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hosanna. Yeah. You know, one time, we were driving out of the parking of SM Aura from the fort. Me and my wife and my two young girls were at the back. And, you know, lo and behold, my youngest daughter, Andrea, suddenly just started shouting. And she was, it's, it's, a, it's almost like she was groaning from within her. <laughs> and what I would hear her say is, Dad, can you help me with my iPad? You know, because we handed down our old iPads to the girls. And so, can you help me with my iPad? I said, why? Uh, I put my password and I forgot my password, Daddy. <laughs> you know, one of the things you told the girls is never to put passwords in your iPad. Because they want to be able to check what you're playing. And at the same time, you might forget your password, which in this case, it happened to her. And so she was, you know, all the way from the fort to Alabang. <laughs> It was a moan and a groan from within her. It's like saying, Daddy, help me. Daddy, help me. Until the time we got home, Daddy, help me. Mommy, help me. I don't want to lose my data. You know, you know it's all the games there in the iPad. You know, you know for, for a girl who's seven years old, you know, that's her world. Okay? Her Minecraft file is very important. Okay? And so, she was crying, ah, help me. You know, she couldn't brush her teeth. She couldn't take a bath, you know. She's really distraught, you know, asking for rescue, rescue, my iPad. And so, Shirley said to Andrea, Andrea, it's not the end of the world. I know it's not the end of the world, but it's the end of my iPad. <laughs> and that's the way she cried. And we were laughing, and we were just looking at her, and I said, wow, this... We're just so passionate about something that she's, she's, she's about to lose. And so I said, I don't really know. So we tried different passwords. It, it wouldn't work. So anyway, ultimately, I asked one of my staff to help me unlock the iPad. And so we were able to save the iPad. But anyway, the, the, the point of the story is she was crying out. She was crying out for help. She was desperate. In that particular situation, she was in need of help. And I believe that all of us probably has a story. You probably have a situation in your office, or you probably have a situation in your, in your family. You probably have a situation in your business that needs saving. You probably need rescuing. You probably need help. Maybe in the area of relationship. Maybe in the area of marriage. Maybe in the area of raising up kids. And guess what? There is no small things before the Lord. We might think, oh, dito naman ang problema mo, mas malaking problema ko, tapo ka sa lolo ko. You know, we, we don't have to compare our problems with one another. You know, a problem of one person may be small or trivial to another, but guess what? That is her world. And Jesus came, not just to fix iPads or fix toys or fix problems, but He ultimately wanted to fix the biggest problem of all, which is sin. And many times, people don't see that the real problem that they have is really themselves. It's called pride. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, you know, don't be proud. Don't be proud. Yan. 
Okay? Be like me. Okay? Sabi sa kanya, be like me. Be humble. Yan. So this is somehow the picture. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. And every time the Jews would read, read the scripture and they would see this phrase or this name, the Lord, the King of Israel is with you. They were in their minds picturing a valiant king, a king that will deliver them. And there, the, the scripture says, the King of Israel is with you never again. Will you fear any harm? So how is Jesus presented in the scriptures? First, he is humble. He's a humble king. He's a very simple message. The views looked at him as a hyped up king. They were expecting something different. But yet Jesus decided to come and ride on a, on a donkey. And remain humble. And if you look at the word humble, it means gentle in NIV, or being used as, as uh, gentle in NIV. It means, in the Greek, praus. Everybody say praus. Praus, which means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and meekness. How many of you possess such? Gentle. Meekness. Diba? Mildness. Okay. Greet the person beside you and just say, Hi. Malubanay ka lang. Mild. You know, this gentleness and mildness can be tested, right? Try ordering in a restaurant and wait for two hours for your order. And see if you will remain gentle and mild and meek. Uh, waiter, wala pa yung pagkain namin. Kanina pa kami. Nag-uwi, ano yung kasabay namin? I mean, how many of you will respond that way? The other day, we were eating in a pizza house. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna sh- say which brand of pizza, but, you know, we enjoy going to that particular pizza house. So we ordered pizza and we ordered chicken. And so the waiter took the order. So we were, me and my wife and my two younger daughters, of course, Bea's working. She's in the office. And we were waiting and, you know, I kind of noticed that the tables around us are getting their food. And ours is not yet there. And I told Shirley, love, we've been waiting here for like, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. And I started calling the waiter. And I said, and then Shirley told me, love, Gentle. Uh, waiter? Ano ba pagkain namin? It's good to be reminded. Because the culture that we live in is actually a culture that is based on paid service. We demand service. We pay for the service. We expect a good service. How many of you, you know, every time you would enter a restaurant or maybe go to a hotel, you expect good service, right? And if you don't get the service, how, how do you feel? You feel shortchanged. It's not worth it. I paid so much. 
and I'm not getting the value that I deserve. But see, Jesus came in a total opposite direction. When Jesus came here on earth, the Bible says He came to serve, not to be served. And how many of you, whenever you would go back home, and I guess I'm preaching to myself again, you know, you expect people to serve you rather than you serving other people. You go to your office, you expect to be treated like a king. You know, I am coming already, you're the boss in that office, open the door! (laughs) Give me coffee! And then the secretary gives you the coffee. Why is this one degree lower than my regular coffee? <laughs> it's just 98 degree. You know, I want 99.5. You know. And here we are you know, trying to demand things from people. And yet, Jesus came in humility. He came to serve. He was king. He was born in a manger. The circumstances that happened around his birth was really not to be proud of. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, when Jesus was born, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. I'm not sure. There's maybe just plain cloth. I don't know where she got those cloths. Placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. No reservation. They're not VIPs. They're going to just call reservation and, you know, we're coming there. Can you reserve a nice suite for us? No, he, he chose to be born in that circumstances. He could have chosen to be born in a, in a rich family, but he chose to be born in a family where his dad was a carpenter. And his mom was a, just a regular teenager. But that we have to understand that the reason why it's really about humbling himself. It's, it's more than just him being born in a poor family. You've got to understand the context that Jesus is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is exactly what Isaiah saw back 700 years before the actual birth of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw who? The Lord. Seated on where? A throne. The Lord is ruling. He's a king. He's high and exalted. And the train of His robe filled the temple. When you talk about the train, you ladies, right? When you get married, you know, pahabaan ang train. The longer the train, the more glorious the gown, right? This king, his train filled the whole temple. You can't sit on your chair because that's a train. That's the glory and the majesty of this God that we serve before he became man. And in in verse 2, above him were seraphs, each with six wings. These are the original Howie boys. With two wings, they cover their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were shouting a particular attribute of God. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
among the attribute of God that's being shown consistently in the Bible. It's the holiness of God. It describes His perfection. It describes His majesty. It describes His distinctness far better than any of His creation. He is Creator God, and we are created beings. He is the Alpha and the Omega. God who has no beginning and no end. The one who made time. The one who invented time. When, when the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. God was already there when He invented time. And this God chose to enter time through Jesus. 2,000 years ago, He became a man just like you and me. This majestic God, seated on the throne, became just like one of us. What if God is one of us? Just a stranger in a bus. He became one of us. And that's the most humbling thing of all. For a creator to become a created being. In fact, even John, the beloved, the guy who said as he wrote in his book, John, the apostle that Jesus loved. Can you imagine if you're writing your own book and say, I am the apostle that Jesus loved. Anyway, so this is John. He said, Isaiah said this because he saw who? Jesus' glory and spoke about him. This was the same Jesus who was seated on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6. And he was talking about the glory of Jesus. Spoke about him. And Jesus, of course, we know that he in the beginning was the word. He was the word. Jesus is the word. He was with God. He was in perfect fellowship with God the Father. And the word was God. He was not a sidekick. He's God himself. He was with God in the beginning. And the Bible says in verse 14, the word became what? Flesh and made his dwelling among us. This word, this God, the second person in the Trinity chose to humble himself, to take on the human flesh, to be a created being, became flesh. This is where we get the word incarnation. Or in Latin, carne. You know carne, right? It's flesh. There's no example that can depict what happened. You know, God being God, becoming a human like us. It's like me saying, you know, I am man and I became an ant. Or I am a man and I became a cockroach. How many of you know that is worse? Right? Can you imagine yourself being a cockroach? How many of you know that is bad? And you're subject to... But yet, that particular example does not even fit. Because me, as a man, I am created, and the cockroach is also a created being. And God is not a created being. And yet, He decided to become a human being, just like us. That speaks of His humility. In God becoming man, He did not lose His divinity. This is from Augustine, our church father. But added to Himself, humanity. This is one of the mysteries that maybe 
Even theologians could not understand how can God or Jesus be fully God and at the same time be fully man. 100% God, 100% man. 100% plus 100% is what? 200%? How can you become 200%? It's a mystery. He did not lose his divinity. He added to himself humanity. Second thing about Jesus is not only was he a humble king, but he was a humiliated king. And we know the story. We don't have to go through each gospel account on how he was humiliated. As he was approaching Jerusalem, people were shouting what? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. At the end of that week, they were shouting what? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas instead. Many times people can be fickle-minded. Matthew chapter 27, it says, They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They humiliated him and then twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. They said, they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Have, have you ever been beaten? You know, maybe, you know, when high school, you know, nakasalik sa rumble. This Jesus willingly accepted the blows just for you and me. Verse 31, after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. The same prophet Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before the actual event that will happen. And he wrote in Isaiah 52, But many were amazed when they saw him after they flogged him and whipped him and crucified him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was a man. You're probably familiar with the scene. This is very quick. I'm going to take it out. Scene of the passion from the Christ. That does not even depict the picture of his face. It says his face was marred beyond any human recognition. They basically disfigured his face. And he accepted each blow because of his love for you and me. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we can be whole. You see, each thing that was done to him has a purpose. When he was beaten, it's meant to make you and me whole. When he was being whipped by the stripes of Jesus, you and I are made healed. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And why did Jesus have to do all this? It's very simple. It's all about love. He did this because he loved you and me. This king didn't have to come here on earth. In fact, if you're talking about justice, we all deserve to die. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Justice has to be met. 
Yet in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Apart from Him, we have no hope. Apart from Him, we're bound to hell. We're on a highway to hell, every one of us. But yet Jesus paved the way for us to have a bridge back to the Father. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as what? Atoning sacrifice for our sins. When you say, when you say atoning, it means to, to, pay, to pay for the penalty. To atone for one's sins is to pay for the penalty, to accept the penalty for that sin. One of the greatest exchange that we can see in the history of mankind is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be what? To be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, if you miss that truth, this is one of the greatest unfair exchange in business history. You know, if you are buying something, you know, if you're buying, for example, a burger or maybe going there to, you know, to a coffee, uh, you know, buying a coffee, you would give your money in exchange for that product because both of you are exchanging something of value. The seller is expecting you to give him a valuable thing, which is money, in exchange for the product that is given you, isn't it? That is fair. But in this particular case, the value that we are getting from the Lord and the, va- the value that He's getting from us is totally out of whack. He's getting sin, we're getting His righteousness. Martin Luther wrote in the Great Exchange, and he said, Don't worry, I'm about to close. Learn Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him in despairing of yourself. Say, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness. Just as I am your sin, you have taken upon yourself what is mine and have given me what is yours. You have taken upon yourself what you were not and have given to me what I was not. This is that mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He was emptied, he has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. What a benefit. What a grace. Amen. How many of you know that God deserves all the praise that we can give him? Justice was served. Justice means to get what you deserve. We sinned. Somebody's got to pay for that sin. Who paid for that sin? Jesus paid for that sin. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We were given mercy. We were not treated like our sins deserve. And more importantly, we were not just set free from sin. We were given grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And when you talk about grace, not only did Jesus forgive us or pay the penalty for our sins, 
He paid for our sins. He forgave our sins. And then He adopted us as sons and daughters. And we are now children of the King. Amen. What a valuable transaction. He has delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for justification. We're going to talk about that next week. What it means for Jesus to be raised to life in resurrection power. This is my main point. King Jesus' humiliation was really for our exaltation. We don't deserve this. You and I don't deserve this. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you don't deserve it. It is not something we work for. It is not something that we were born to have nor achieve. There was only one person who's made to do that, and that is Jesus. The reason why his death is so sweet is because when John the Baptist saw him from afar, he said, this is the Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. There's no other person who's qualified to do that. A lamb has got to be a sinless person. And the thing is, not only was he sinless, he is God himself. And he gave his life for you and me. How should we respond? Philippians chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus. You will see the motivation of Christ to humble himself. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. He deserves all the praise. He deserves all our adoration. He deserves all our allegiance. He gave everything to us. And what is this kingdom that we're talking about? It's not a political kingdom. Where does he reign? Ultimately, he wants to rule and reign in our hearts. That is his domain. The dominion of God, the dominion of Christ, is your heart, your very being. It's everything about you. It's your whole life. It's everything that you represent. Your family, your finance, your, your business, Every relationship, every time spent here on earth ought to be given back to Him because He deserves it. Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. For more podcasts, download the Victory Alabang app for Apple or Android devices. And for updates, do join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you and stay connected.